Good morning. I'll add my welcome to those that have come before me. My name is Evie Martin. I'm the lead pastor here at Platwood Church. I welcome all of you gathered in this space and those of you worshiping with us online as well. It's good to be gathered together um, in God's presence. Last Sunday night, I just wanted to share with you, um, I survived one of the most intimidating, um, nerve-wracking, jaw-clenching, brutal hours of my 14 years of pastoral ministry so far. I doubted everything I ever learned in seminary. I questioned every leadership decision I've ever made. I second-guessed my own ability to speak words. My heart rate was through the roof. I sweat all the way through my shirt, and I couldn't see straight for the better part of the last 30 minutes. Last Sunday night, I was the special guest for Platwood Students Middle School event, Ask the Pastor. (laughs) I truly thought I might die or at least curl up in the fetal position under a chair before it was all over. But neither of those things happened because our students are amazing. And while it's true that I was sweating and I was thinking fast on my feet, it was one of my favorite things that I've done all year. No offense to any other groups in the church if I've been to your meetings. But I loved hearing our students' questions. I loved their open curiosity and their desire to know more, to understand, to explore, and even to be silly. I love that our student ministry and our student leaders create a space to hold questions and curiosity because they are essential to our growth. I fielded everything from what is your favorite kind of pen to what does God think about LGBTQ plus people? God made them fearfully and wonderfully just like God made every human, that was an easy one to answer. To what is the proper way to pray? to do animals have souls, to have you ever exercised a demon? It was a wild night. (laughs) I didn't get any calls from parents though, so that feels like a win. (laughs) But in all of that fun, the reason it actually is an intimidating endeavor is because middle schoolers tend to love the concrete. I have a soon-to-be middle schooler, and he wants firm answers things he can grasp onto and relate to in real life. At that age, our brains are still working overtime to make sense out of the world we live in, and so concrete is much easier to categorize than abstract. The problem is, so much of our faith and spiritual journey is abstract. (laughs) So, let's put the pastor on the spot to answer abstract questions with concrete answers. It sounds like a good time for everybody. It was. It was a good time. But truly, middle schoolers aren't the only ones looking for concrete amidst the abstract. Humans in general are, aren't we? We would much rather hold on to something that feels real than something that feels immaterial, particularly when it comes to our faith. And in these weeks of Lent, we are exploring together how we might know Jesus more closely in our real lives. The Gospel of John gives us what are called the I am sayings of Jesus. I am the bread, I am the good shepherd, I am the light. We've been over these these past many weeks. And those sound like concrete things, things we encounter every day. So what can they teach us? How can they help us know Jesus more closely in our real life? Last week, we met Jesus as the good shepherd in John chapter 10, and we had to quickly identify and admit that if Jesus was the shepherd, that makes us the sheep. 
Being the sheep is a humbling reality, but we learned to have compassion for our sheepish selves because Jesus has compassion for us. That's the whole point. Unfortunately, this week we are still sheep. (laughs) The I am saying has changed, but we're still working in this pasture sheep pen motif. So just hang in there a little longer. Next week we get to be grapes. It'll be fine. And today we're actually going backwards a little in the text before Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In the earlier verses of John chapter 10, he says, I am the gate. And of all the metaphors in this whole series, I'll be honest and say that I think this one is the hardest to engage and to understand. But we can do hard things. So let's see what Jesus says. I assure you that whoever doesn't enter into the sheep pen through the gate but climbs over the wall, is a thief and an outlaw. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The guard at the gate opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Whenever he has gathered all of his sheep, he goes before them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, but will run away because they don't know the stranger's voice. That's a whole other sermon in itself, isn't it? It's the one I try to preach real quick up here with the kids. (laughs) That deep need and the hardwiring we have to respond to the voices that know us to our very core. That's Jesus knowing us. And in life and in faith, we are learning together to recognize his voice over and against the stranger's voices because he's the one we trust to lead us. But going on, this is always a great clue in the Bible that something is going to be hard to grasp. Those who heard Jesus use this analogy didn't understand what he was saying. Fantastic. (laughs) They didn't understand. So it seems there's going to be some grace for us if we don't either. So Jesus spoke again. I assure you that I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and outlaws, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me, will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they could have life, indeed, so that they could live life to the fullest. I'd be interested to know what your experience is with gates. For me, as I reflected back on gates in my real life, I realized that almost without exception, they were tricky gates. When I was a kid, it was my job to jump out of the car as we pulled into the driveway to manually open the gate that went to the backyard so that we could pull around to the garage. That was how most of the houses in our 1980s subdivision in North Texas were designed. The garages were on the back, and so they would drive around into the driveway. But the gate was metal and long. It was kind of like that, although not quite as nice. Um, <laughs> over time, the weight of it began to make it drag on one end, and it would scrape along the concrete of the driveway, so you had to like hoist it up as you walked it across and matched it open. It was, it was a headache, and eventually we just stopped doing that and just left it open for years and years. And then the gate on the other side of the house, the wooden one, was part of the fence, had similar alignment issues. So as the ground shifted or settled, as the weather changed, the wood would expand and tighten, and you had to use your full body weight to pull it far enough away to get it to open. My dad was constantly having to go fiddle with these things and adjust them so they would still be functional. My last house in St. Louis had a gate on the side fence that was basically worthless. 
the latch was sort of like hanging on by one screw. You had to hold up the side to align it and then get it open from the inside. It was either impossible to open or it would just blow open randomly in the wind, leaving the backyard open to any and all visitors. On top of that, there was an enormous gap between the bottom of the gate and the ground, allowing Willie the woodchuck to come and go as he pleased, unhindered entirely by the thing that was intended to keep him out. For whatever reason, every gate in my life so far has come with like special instructions. If I have to tell a neighbor or a guest how to open it, it includes descriptions of amount of force necessary, two hands required, how to lift up the bottom with your foot to get it to latch, how to hold your tongue just right to make it work, or some other nonsense. I've had a lifetime of tricky gates. Anyone else? It's just me. <laughs> just had like a lot of weird gates in my life. But as I wrestled with this text, trying to understand Jesus when he says, I am the gate, I think I've come to realize that he was addressing the problem of tricky gates. And he was offering himself as an alternative, a gate that wasn't quite so finicky. This passage, taken by itself, can be, and has been, interpreted as a passage of exclusivity. A gate, at first glance, can be something designed to keep things out. On its own, it can sound like Jesus is saying only the select or lucky few sheep that find their way to him or know how to jiggle the gate handle or hold their tongue just right or that he likes and tolerates can gain access to the safety of the pen on the other side. That there is criteria for getting past the gate. Ironically, I think that's exactly the mindset that Jesus is trying to overturn when he says, I am the gate. And to understand this better, we need to back up even farther, a whole chapter, to chapter 9, John chapter 9. All that Jesus says about sheep and shepherds and gates and pastures, everything from last week and today, comes at the end of a sequence that we see multiple times in John. It's a literary pattern that scholars name as sign, dialogue, discourse. Sign, dialogue, discourse. The next time you read the whole Gospel of John, as you do, you can look for this pattern in other places. We read about Jesus performing a miracle, or John calls them signs. He doesn't call them miracles. Jesus performing a sign, and then there is dialogue about it among the disciples, the Pharisees, the bystanders, all the people trying to make sense out of what they've just witnessed. And then finally, there is discourse. Jesus talks about what he has done and tries to teach the people. So all of this sheepy stuff that we've been talking about is all a part of that discourse stage at the end. Jesus is teaching in response to some dialogue that has happened just prior, which is in response to some event, a sign, or a miracle that he has done, which put the whole thing in motion. So in this particular case, all of chapter 9 is what sets the ball in motion. Jesus has healed a blind man. That's the sign. And there are a few incidents of him doing this in the Gospels, but this is the weird one. You might remember where he spits on the ground and he makes some mud and then he puts it on the man's eyes and the man can see. You remember that one? And what follows is a lengthy sequence of conversations. His neighbors want to know what has happened. 
He explains, but no one really understands. The Pharisees, the religious leaders have all kinds of questions for him and he fails to answer to their satisfaction. The Jewish leaders go and talk to his parents and then they go and they talk to him. His story doesn't add up because it doesn't align with their understanding of how God and the world work. And so they expel the man from the synagogue once again. He hadn't been allowed there to begin with because he was blind. You see, everyone involved in this part of the story, of the dialogue part, was operating under the shared belief that this man's blindness was a result of sin. What was their worldview, how they understood things to work? No one knew exactly how it was connected, either his parents' sin because he was born that way, or maybe it was his own sin. So the topic of discussion was entirely centered on sin, on what was wrong with this man. And now that he could see, somehow in their worldview, that must mean that his sin was gone too. So no one knew what to make of this, much less what to make of Jesus, who was apparently responsible both for the sight restoration and the sin removal situation. He has caused quite the commotion. A man who had always been on the outside, expelled from community, from family, from religious life, because everyone agreed and believed that he should be on the outside, is now suddenly coming in. No one knows what to do with him. Jesus has helped him and brought him near. And the religious community questions his identity, even though he has told them who he is. But he doesn't fit in their boxes for righteousness, and so they kick him out again. And it's in that moment that Jesus starts talking about the sheep pen. The sheep who know the shepherd's voice, remember he's talking about a blind man who up until moments before couldn't see but could only hear. And Jesus is talking about all the sheep who know they're supposed to be in his fold. But there are people coming into the pen trying to mess things up and kick sheep out and lead them astray, expelling them. The gate is the way that the sheep go in and out, but there are thieves trying to go around the gate, trying to make the gate trickier than it is, trying to tell some of the sheep that they can't come in the pen, the blind man being the case in point. The blind man doesn't belong in the synagogue or in the community for a whole host of reasons. He has not been allowed through the tricky gate that has been fashioned by those who are not the good shepherd. Jesus shows up and says, hold on a sec. You are not the gate anymore. I am the gate. You have tried to be the gate for too long now, and look at this lamb of mine that you've left out, turned out, run out. Look how many more are in line behind him. I am the gate now. He belongs in the pen. There's no trick to getting in here, and just like him, whoever comes through me can come in and be safe and be tended to. Listen carefully to that line, whoever comes. Not the healthy, the righteous, the sinless, the penitent, the put together, the knowledgeable. No, there are zero qualifiers on Jesus' words. Whoever whoever. 
the blind, the sinful, the outcast, the messed up, the rejected, the queer, the confused, the divorced, the recovering, the scared, the ones the church has too long forgotten what to do with. He's intentionally responding to the exclusionary behavior of the religious leaders who have kept this man out for so long. This man who needed care and community and a place to know he was loved by God and by others. Jesus' statement, I am the gate, is so radically inclusive, it makes the Pharisees mad. It still makes religious people mad today. Because the tricky gates make it easier to keep people out. And Jesus is not a tricky gate. Whoever comes through me will be saved. And what was the salvation the blind man received? He received sight and he received the wholeness of being welcomed into a pen where he fully belonged. Inside the pen is a place of protection, a place of warmth with other sheep, a place we are not alone. Salvation in Jesus the gate is restoration and welcome into community. But did you notice what Jesus said next? A gate doesn't just swing one way. A gate that does that is nothing more than a prison entrance. No, Jesus says they will come in and go out and find pasture. The sheep who need a safe place to belong find in Jesus as the gate not only restoration and healing of their wounds, but then also the freedom to go back out and into the lush, beautiful, abundant fields all around. They have safety and they have freedom in Jesus. He guides them to the very best parts of life, the grass that is delicious, the water that is clean and cool, the wide open meadows to run and leap and roll around in clover and whatever else it is that brings sheep deep joy. Jesus concludes this part of his teaching by summing it all up. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they could have life Indeed, so that they could live life to the fullest. These are the words that undergird our mission statement here at Platwoods. Life to the fullest. We are inviting all people into full life together in Jesus Christ. That's our statement. It's a vision of the sheep pen that has Jesus as a gate, not a tricky gate. A gate that swings wide to bring all the misfits and the expelled and the people who were told they didn't belong into a place that feels like home. A gate that swings smooth to let us all run out together into a world that has beauty and goodness and lots of other sheep longing for the fullness of life too. I think sometimes we are guilty of trying to be the gate. Our world makes it easy to draw lines, to categorize, to make judgments about who's in and who's out, whether it's conscious or unconscious. And that's true beyond the church for sure, but we've let that tricky gate mindset creep into our spiritual communities. When we start to act like gates, 
let's hear Jesus' reminder. He is the gate. Whoever comes is embraced. And other times we are the sheep on the outside, the ones that got expelled. The ones who were told that the gate was there to keep us out. Probably not too many of you sitting in this room because that kind of harm runs so deep that it's difficult to go near the gate of the church ever again. But if you're searching for home, summoning the courage to try again, needing a herd, longing for a place to belong, we want you to feel at home. Jesus is the gate for you, and whoever comes is embraced. And finally, if we are sitting here together today, we're most likely the smelly herd of sheep jumbled together, trying to hear the shepherd's voice over the noise of the world. We know how to get to the gate, even if we feel like we stumble in and out of Jesus' love for us sometimes. And there are lonely sheep nearby who might need a trusted friend to get them pointed toward that love that can restore them and open their eyes. There is a full life to be lived together. Jesus is the gate for us, whoever comes will be embraced. Will you pray with me? Jesus Christ, shepherd and gate, from you and through you and in you are all things. In our coming, because you are our gate, may we find rest and comfort, healing and home, in our going, because you are our gate, may we find adventure, abundance, your wide open world waiting for a life that is full, a life that comes from you. In your name we pray. Amen.